Hello everyone. Welcome to Read Through the Bible with Elder Linda. So glad you joined me. Uh, today we have a good lesson. <clears throat> We're going to be in Exodus chapter 21. Uh, if this is your first time coming to the channel, here we read the scriptures together. We make sure we understand what we're reading and we make application to our lives. Um, if you want to subscribe to the channel, uh, I would greatly appreciate that. And you'll be notified whenever a new video is posted. Also, uh, if you have any comments or questions, don't hesitate to ask. And I'll be sure to research that for you and give you the biblical answer. But as I said, last week we were on... Um, we were on chapter 20 of Exodus, and this week we're going to be in chapter 21 and 22. And chapter 20 is where we talked about the Ten Commandments. Uh, we reviewed those. And 21 through 22, and actually 23 is where it's going to be, uh, God's going to give Moses more detailed instructions on how he wants uh, his chosen people to have to interact with each other. So that's what those chapters are going to be all about. So it's going to be um, a lot of rules and regulations that we're going to read about. So uh, prepare yourself for that. But let's just start with a word of prayer and just invite the Holy Spirit into our lesson. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we just thank you. We, we praise you. Father God, we honor you. Lord God, we just want to be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we just ask, Lord God, that you will continue to increase us, increase the, us in your wisdom and your knowledge and in your understanding, Lord God. Help us to understand your word and to see it clearly. I pray for all those that are listening, all those that will listen. Father, that you will open their hearts. Father, that you receive your word and that the word might become a part of us. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> So, amen. We're going to jump right in. Uh, and before we get started, I just wanted to uh, talk a little bit. And excuse me, I'm just, my mouth is really dry for some reason. <clears throat> but before we get started, we wanted to um, talk about what we're, we're, why we're reading the Old Testament in the first place. And why we are reading about the children of Israel. Uh, the children of Israel are on a journey. And they're called the children of Israel because uh, God decided to choose a nation. He decided to choose one particular people to express his glory and to show uh, the whole world who he is. So he decided to do this through the children of Israel. And they he delivered them and set them free from uh, slavery in Egypt. And now they're on their journey after they were delivered from slavery in Egypt on their journey to the promised land. And their journey mirrors a lot about our journey. We're on a spiritual journey to our promised land. Uh, their promised land was Canaan land. Our promised land is going to be the new Jerusalem. And you can read about that in Revelation chapter 21, where, where we're going to, uh, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And you're going to see new, we're going to see new Jerusalem. And we're going to be in a paradise uh, far greater than the Garden of Eden ever was. So some things we just need to, did I dot it down that I want us to keep in mind is that all these laws that we're getting ready to read about shows us not only what a kingdom citizen looks like, because how many people know that's what it's doing? It's showing us uh, 
all these rules and regulations are showing this is what you this is how you're supposed to treat one another this is how you're supposed to um uh live together you know this is how this is some of the rules and regulations and how you're supposed to operate as a nation so it not only shows them how to be kingdom citizens but it also reveals to us the character and nature of god because you're going to see as we read a lot of these commandments we're going to see how god was uh merciful and how he cared for women uh you're going to see some some things that he put in place to protect women we're going to read about some things that he put in place to, to protect the widows and the orphans and how he feels for the for foreigners and didn't want you to treat them badly. So I want you to keep that in mind as we're reading that this is actually showing, giving you a peek into who God is, into how God really feels about people, about us. Uh, so pay attention to that, that he's a jealous God and he wants us for himself. Also reading the Old Testament points us to Jesus because it's... Uh, uh, it shows us that we need a savior. It shows us that uh, in order to live this Christian life, because how many people know with all those rules and regulations that they had to follow, we're going to see that they're not going to be able to do it. We wouldn't be able to do it without the help of Jesus Christ. Amen. So he's helping us to live this Christian life. So these rules and regulations show them, point them to Jesus like a mirror. Uh, the law was like a mirror that just showed you who you were, showed you that you are sinful, showed you that you need help. When you look in the mirror, you just see yourself. So it was a mirror to show them who they were and to show them that they were a fallen, had fallen into sin and that they needed a savior. Excuse me. The law reveals our sin. It points us to the answer to our sin problem, who is Jesus Christ, who came here to take away our sins. And don't forget about that scripture that we all know and we probably know it by heart that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which tells us what? Before we even uh, came in the world and did anything, we were born into sin. We were born as sinners <clears throat> and we needed a savior. All because of what Adam and Eve did. They sold us out. They sold us all unto sin. But there's hope because Jesus Christ is the one that came to deliver us from sin. And he has come. So we're reading about the journey that they're going to and how God's preparing uh, this world for Jesus' entry into this world. But we have the benefit of knowing that Jesus has already come. We're far along the way to know he's already come and he, in fact, already lives in our hearts. So we know the impact that Jesus has in our lives and on the world if they would accept him. So, and, uh, so as God makes... Israel, his chosen people, his holy nation, he lays out for them what they should look like and how they should function as a holy nation. And again, he's laying that groundwork way back here in the Old Testament for the entrance of his son, Jesus Christ. He's, he's laying that, ground, that groundwork, making the way for us to be able to enter into his holy kingdom. So God's people were lawless, so God had to bring the law. The law would serve the purpose of keeping them in check and keeping them in check until Jesus would come and truly change us from the inside out because that's what God wants. He wants our heart to be right. Uh, he wants us to love him with our whole hearts. And in Hebrews chapter 10, 16, it tells us that. 
uh, God has, that he has a new uh, command, a new covenant that he makes with us. And that is that he put his law in our hearts and in our minds. Amen. So that's what we want. That's what we're looking for. So let's just look at um, chapter 21 of Exodus. And in chapter 21, before we start, it's, it's going to be talking about how to treat, the first part of this chapter talks about how to treat slaves and the laws for personal injury. It's going to be the second part of the chapter. <clears throat> and just a note here on slavery. Slavery was already being practiced long before the Mosaic Law. You know, oftentimes here in the United States, you know, uh, some of us, uh, and, and the way my ancestors were treated um, in slavery, uh, between and, and how we experienced the, all that slave trade and everything and the mistreatment of African-Americans from 1500s until it was abolished in 1865. Um, but way before that, even way before that, slavery was being practiced uh, by the hunter and gatherer, the caveman. It, it was being it was being practiced long before uh I would even venture to say, and, and I, I haven't looked this up, so, but I, but I, I know that when the fall of Adam happened, all kind of things entered into the world, and so sometime after that, uh, we started enslaving each other, uh, slavery started taking place. So here in Exodus, though, the slaves are viewed more as indentured servants. And what I mean by indentured servants is that an indentured servant is someone who willingly uh, agrees to be the servant of another person in order to pay off a debt that they owe. So they won't get any money for their work and for their services, but everything that they do will be going toward paying off the debt that they owe to that person. So they voluntarily uh, make an agreement to work for food, shelter and clothing and a biblical example of that also would be if you wanted to see um how that worked is in the bible with jacob and laban and that's in genesis chapter 29 if you want to look that up how jacob uh became a servant to laban practically and uh worked for laban uh he and he worked there even to get his the, the wife that he wanted he worked for him uh for seven years but Let's go starting, start reading in Genesis chapter 21, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. <clears throat> in verse 21, verse 1, it says, These are the regulations you must present to Israel. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he may serve for no longer than six years. Set him free in the seventh year, and he will not owe you anything for his freedom. If he has... If he was single when he came, when he became your servant, he shall leave single. But if he was married before he became a slave, then his wife must be freed with him. So, again, I want you to notice how God is setting in place uh, how uh, the Hebrews could not be slaves forever. It could not be an uh, indefinite period of time. If, if a Hebrew person, and remember as an indentured servant, if you became a slave to your fellow Hebrew person, it's because uh, your fellow Hebrew brothers, because you uh, had bad times had fell on you and you couldn't, you couldn't keep in house. You couldn't feed yourself. You couldn't clothe yourself. So the Lord put it, put it, has, is putting a law in place that's saying he can only serve you for six years. And in the seventh year, you have to let him go free. If he comes in single, he leaves out single. 
But if he was married when he came, then he leaves with his wife. Verse 4, if his master gave him a wife while he was a slave and they had sons and daughters. And let me say this word here, slave, in, in uh, verse 4. Uh, when you look that up in the concordance, slave and servant, those two words are interchangeable. They, they, they kind of, there's really, they didn't make a big difference between those words. You were slave slash servant. Uh, you were serving somebody. Uh, if the master gave him a wife while he was a slave, they had sons and daughters, and they had sons and daughters, then only the man will be free in the seventh year, but his wife and children will still belong to the master. Verse 5, but the slave may declare, I love my master, my wife, and my children, and I don't want to go free. If he does this, his master must present him before God. Then his master must take him to the door or doorpost and publicly pierce his ear with an awl. After that, the slave will serve his master for life. So what is it saying here? So if, if you have a, uh, a servant who, who is serving you and he gets married while he's in your service, so the wife that he's marrying belongs to you as well. She's your servant. He can't take that wife unless, uh, unless he does a couple of things. And, and I wrote down some things that he could do. He could either, um, he could pay her debt off and then she'd be free to leave with him if he had that kind of money. He could uh, stay there until her debt was completed or satisfied till her contract was up and then he could take her with him. Or he could stay there with his wife and children, as they said here, uh, tell his master, look, I don't want to leave. Put my ear up to the door, pierce my ear with that all. And, and, and with that piercing, that would cause him to be known as a bond servant, which means he is going to be the servant of that master for the rest of his life willingly and he chooses this willingly and they do it publicly so everybody know i'm not forcing him to do this he chose to do this and and people would do it for different things maybe they maybe this person had a better life than they ever had when they were uh working for this man uh you know so they wanted to stay there and maybe because the the woman's debt was so much that she could never pay it off or he would never be paid off he don't want to leave there without his wife that he just just met when he got there so he might want to stay there with his wife so whatever the reason he would decide to be a bond servant, which means he's going to serve him for the rest of his life. Now, in the New Testament, this, this idea of being a bond servant was picked up by about, uh, I'm going to give you about four names of some New Testament apostles and uh, 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 people in the Bible that had um, decided they wanted to be a bond servant for Christ. So they took on this term bond servant, meaning Put my ear up to the door. I don't want to ever leave here. I want to be a bond slave to you. I want to be uh, tied to you, Jesus, forever. And those four people that I want to mention to you is Paul. And you can find that in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. He called himself a, a bond servant of Christ, a servant of Christ. Peter, same thing. Uh, first, second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. James chapter 1, verse 1. And Jude chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, and this is how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be sold out to Christ. We're supposed to be um, so in love with Jesus that we don't want to go anywhere. Lord, I want to serve you. I want to give my life to you. I live for you. I can't imagine my life without you. I don't want to go anywhere unless your presence go with me. 
You know, we want to be just that in love with him, that we want to be a bond servant to Jesus Christ. So in verse seven, it says, when a man says, sells his daughter uh, as a slave, she or servant, she will not be freed at the end of six years as the men are. Now, let me just, just clarify this. This is not slave tra trafficking. Uh, back in the day in the Bible, uh, the women had to be taken care of. And so if the father knew that his daughter needed to be married because it's time for her to be married and she needed someone to take care of her, uh, he might give her to uh, someone that he, he believes would be a good husband for her or that asked for her. And the price that he would pay for her is the fact of her service. So she would be sold to that person and her service it would, would, would be what would be buying her her room and board, her uh, her food, her clothing, all being taken care of by her serving and working for this person. So it wasn't a bad thing. So don't look at it as if it was an evil thing. The father was trying to look out for his daughter. Verse eight, it says, if she does not satisfy her owner, he must now, he must allow her to be bought back again, but he is not allowed to sell her to foreigners since he is the one who broke the contract with her. So you notice they said she was in a contract with him. So in other words, this was a betrothal. When the father uh, gave her to him, it was for her to be his wife. At some point, she was going to be his wife. And for whatever reason, if the man decided, mm, I changed my mind, I want her to be my wife, maybe he saw somebody else that he wanted to be his wife. He was the one that broke the contract, so he could not give her away to a foreigner and, I, and look at the protection God made for this woman. She, he could, she could not be sold to a foreigner. Uh, and uh, she had to be sold back to the father. But, verse 9, <clears throat> But if the slave's owner arranges for her to marry his son, he may no longer treat her as a slave, but as a daughter. So if she marries a son, of course, now she's a daughter. And it said, if a man who, verse 10, if a man who has married a slave wife takes another wife for himself, he must not neglect the first, the rights of the first wife to food, clothing, and sexual intimacy. If he fails in any of these three obligations, she may leave as a free woman without making any payment. So again, he's setting, um, rules and regulations in place to protect this woman. Because it, even if he marries her and, and he decides he wants another wife, he still has to be faithful to her and take care of her. And, you know, and it, and it reminds you of um, uh, the polygamy thing and, and even with slavery, because you might wonder, well, why didn't God just, just tell them, okay, I don't want y'all to have servants. I don't want y'all to have slavery. Uh, I don't want uh, you to have more than one wife. Uh, that's polygamy. I don't want you to do that. Because how many people know in the Garden of Eden, there was not more than one wife. It was Adam and Eve, husband and wife. But due to the fall, we went into a downward spiral of sin and opened the floodgates for all kinds of things. Uh, so, you know, we ha they had slavery, they had polygamy, they had murder, they have lying, they have all, all kinds of things. It's a bottomless pit. And, and I'm afraid we're still not finished going down that spiral. So why didn't God just 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 stop some of these things and 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 stop the polygamy? Because even in the Bible, you had some some great rulers in the Bible who 
um, had more than one wife. You had Abraham who had more than one wife. Of course, you know, Solomon failed because of all the wives that he had. It brought him down. And no, God didn't just, you know, he didn't strike him down and he allowed it. He allowed it. He didn't condone it, but he allowed it because how do you even know God is dealing with our hearts? He's, he wants us to be his lovely and willingly because we want to, because it's in our hearts to do the right thing. Not because he gave us a rule and regulation to do it. He wants our nature to be changed. And he knew that the only way our nature was going to be changed is when Jesus Christ comes and changes from the inside out. Even after um, uh, he, he brought the flood to destroy everybody but Noah and his family because the world was so wicked. Even after he destroyed the whole, the whole earth with the flood, he said, you know, he know that man's thoughts will continually be evil. They're always evil. Even after the flood, he still knew that they haven't changed. So he, brought, he started with his plan to bring Jesus Christ, who would one day come, hallelujah, and live in our hearts and change us to the point where our hearts and our minds would want to do the right thing. Amen. So that's why a lot of this stuff, he's not stopping. Uh, he's allowing stuff to happen and complete and, and take its toll because he knows that his his answer to the sin problem is coming. Amen. Okay, in, in verse 12, it says, anyone who assaults, we're talking about cases of personal injury now. Uh, it says, anyone, make sure I didn't miss anything here. Oh, just one more thing I, I wanted to share with you about the slavery thing. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 12 through 15, it's further showing us how God uh, put things in place to protect his people, uh, to protect the people. And that's Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 12. It says, if a fellow Hebrew sells himself or herself to be your servant and serves you for six years, in the seventh year, you must set that person free. Now, this is kind of repeated what we just read in Exodus. Verse 13. But when you release a male servant, do not send him away empty-handed. Give him a generous farewell gift from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Share with him some of the bounty with which the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I am giving you this command. So even when the slave goes free, God was telling them, don't send, their, don't send your servants away empty handed. Even when you release them, you give them, give them part of your bounty, give them part of your blessing, give them part of the, the things that I have given you. Amen. So God was still looking out for the poor, for the poor person, the person that had been uh, uh, down and had lost uh, some of their belongings, and he's still looking out for them. Amen, amen. So, in the case of um, personal injury, well, before we get there, we want to talk about slavery in the New Testament. And slavery in the New Testament was because we see how God in the Old Testament regulated sla regulated slavery. In the New Testament, slavery was was ruled by the Romans. Romans were the ones that were over everything. And so it was kind of harder for the apostles uh, to, to regulate or do anything about slavery. So basically what they did in the New Testament was tell you 
how to deal with the situation that you find yourself in. So this is what we find in the New Testament. And how do we find that in, in Ephesians? It says, Ephesians 6, 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart as, as unto Christ. So he's telling them how to deal with this. If you're a servant and you have a master, just be obedient as, as if you're being obedient unto Christ. Do the right thing. In Colossians 3, 22 to 25, it says, Obey and work to obey and work for your masters as if you were working for the Lord. It says in verse 22, bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, I want you to take note of this verse. It says, and whatever you do, verse 23, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. So we need to remember that. Whatever we do, we need to do it as unto the Lord. And what does that include? Here they're talking about servants obeying their masters and doing their jobs right. That even includes us at in 2023, when we're at work, when you're, uh, you have a boss that tells you to do certain things, uh, you don't want to just be to do the right thing when your boss is watching you. You should be doing the right thing whether your boss is watching you or not. Because guess what? God sees everything. And you're supposed to do whatever you do as hard as, as if you're doing it to the, unto the Lord. We're supposed to be pleasing in his sight, trying to please him, not that boss, because God is the one that's going to give us our reward. Because that boss that you're under might not ever say that a boy or that a girl. Or they might not ever say you did a good job. They might ever not ever say thank you. But God sees you. He sees what you're doing. And he's going to reward you for your faithfulness. And also, don't forget it says in Colossians 4.1, it says, Masters must treat your servants or your slaves fairly. So even bosses, I have a responsibility to treat you fairly. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. So everybody's going to be held accountable because God is watching. God sees everything and he knows everything. And also, uh, one last scripture about this slavery thing was how Paul saw slavery. And that's in Philemon chapter uh, 1, verse 16. How Paul uh, pleads on behalf of Onesimus who appears to be a runaway slave belonging to Philemon. And Paul admonished Philemon to do the right thing and accept Onesimus back as a brother and not a slave, promising to pay anything that Onesimus might owe. So Paul trusted that the Christ in Philemon would cause him to do the right thing, not according to the law, but actions done because of the presence of Christ dwelling within us. So everything we should do, we do, we need to do it as unto the Lord because God lives inside of us. Amen. He should be our reason. He should be our source. He should be our why I do what I do. Amen. Not as men pleasers, not just because somebody's watching you, but doing it because we love him and we want to serve him and we want to hear him say, well done. Amen. 
Amen. Because I know sometimes people look at you and say and, and think, well, why, why do they work so hard? It's because I'm working to please the Lord. You know, why do they, they do a good job in everything they do? That's what should be said of us as Christians, that whatever you put your hands to do, you do it well and you're blessed. And whatever you're doing is blessed because you're a child of the king. When uh, Joseph was thrown in the pit, every place he went, it turned into gold. Everything he touched turned into gold. Here he was in a dungeon in, in a pit and was raised up to be, to rule over everybody else in the dungeon because he, in the, in the prison, because he, Served God because he did everything with excellence. Amen. So as Christians, whatever we do, do it with excellence. I don't care if you have the worst boss in the world. Whatever you do, do it with excellence. Because remember, you're not out to please that boss. You're out to please God himself who's always watching you. Amen. Amen. We're going to uh, stop there because I don't want to get into the, the second part of this because uh, our time is, is nearly out. I just want to encourage you that if you have not accepted Christ into your heart, uh, please do so because time is winding up. And uh, like I always said, tomorrow is not promised to any of us. Uh, I was looking on Facebook with someone, another one of my relatives who's uh, in the hospital. And I just recently had another relative who had, uh, we thought they had a heart attack. And time is just, it's winding up. And, and you never know when your number is up. And, and so we know so many people that have gone on to be with the Lord. And we just, just pray that whenever your number is up, that you have actually acknowledged the Lord, accept him into your heart and had him come in to live in your heart. Amen. So that when you leave this, or if you know exactly where you're going, amen, to be with the Lord. So please go on my channel. Uh, there's a, a playlist called The Sinner's Prayer. We'll teach you all those things about Jesus and how to give your heart to the Lord. And it also teach you about your salvation. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's just close in prayer. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. And we thank you for your grace. Lord, we know that without you, we can do nothing. Father, continue to keep us humble in your sight. Lord, you know us. You know us inside and out. You know our thoughts. You know our hearts. Father, give us a clean heart. Lord, if there's anything in us that is not like you, we're asking you to cleanse us and take it away, Father, that we might truly hear you say, well done. Lord, bless all those that are listening, all those that will listen. Father, we'll be careful to give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, and I'll see you next week.